Hi, and welcome to EcoGal, the Curious Consumer. I'm Ashley. Today in the EcoGal studio with me is Jeff Poppin, or better known as the Barefoot Farmer. Jeff, a Midwestern farm boy, helped develop an organic farm and Tennessee homestead in the mid-1970s, and 10 years later began applying biodynamic principles and making the preparations to do so. His livelihood comes primarily from the vegetable and cattle grown on the 250-acre Long Hungry Creek Farm, where cows, compost, and community keep the land vibrant and productive. Jeff advocates for a more peaceful agriculture by mentoring young farmers and gardeners, along with a bit of lecturing, consulting, hosting events, and facilitating a few new farm enterprises. His style of old-time farming comes from paying close attention to what elder farmers thought, felt, and did, and by studying how farms were managed before agricultural chemicals were first manufactured on a large scale over 100 years ago. Like his animals, he gets his food from the farm. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. So let's dig in first, really understanding biodynamic principles. Yes. Well, uh, biodynamic uh, principles arose out of uh, some lectures uh, that were given within 10 years after the discovery of how to synthesize ammonium nitrate from the atmosphere. That happened in 1914. And this had a profound effect on humanity. Previous to this discovery, all fertilizers had to come from within the farm. Hmm. People had to grow legumes and every farm had to have livestock to supply the appropriate nitrogen for their crops. When they started synthesizing nitrogen, then farmers were able to use that and not have to grow legumes and have livestock. But this eventually depleted the soil life. Not many folks recognize this at first. What prompted the discovery of the synthesis of nitrogen was World War I, and a decisive battle fought in the Falkland Islands between the navies of Germany and England over a pile of bird poop. This was one of the largest known reserves of nitrate, in this case, sodium nitrate. Mm. Before that, most nitrate came from saltpeter, uh, potassium nitrate from bat guano in caves. So, uh, but worldwide, most people just use legumes and manures from their animals to, to fertilize their fields. And so, here we have this big war. Germany has no gunpowder. Uh, uh, you have to have nitrogen, potassium for the gunpowder. And so uh, they discovered this, and weapons facilities sprouted out all over Germany, prolonged the war for a long time. And then when it ended, they turned into fertilized factories. It turns out that the thing, same things we use for gunpowder are the NPK that we use as chemical fertilizers. This discovery led to a huge increase in grain 
production to the point where two and a half billion people, about a third of the population of the world, would not be alive today if it hadn't been for that one discovery. Probably the most important discovery of the 20th century. So a few years after this, uh, Rudolf Steiner gave these lectures and said, this is not a good idea that these nitrate fertilizers make it so that the food grown loses its nutrition, loses its nutritive value. And he was a a scientist who had studied uh, biology and chemistry and math and uh, 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 got uh, PhDs in these types of things and and had quite an understanding of what was going on in the soils and uh, and also in the uh, history and the, the social circumstances of the time. And it seemed really appropriate that uh, uh, we quit using these chemical fertilizers and go back to using compost and farming and gardening the way people did before the advent of all these chemicals. And what year was this? The uh, 1914 is when uh, they uh, started a large-scale manufacture of ammonium nitrate. But what year did Steiner come forth and speak his mind about this? 1924, 10 years later. Okay. He grew up on farms that were using, you know, those old-time farming practices. But he wasn't a farmer or gardener himself. He was an academic, you know. Mm. Anyway, so... Uh, this series of lectures then uh, fostered the development of what we now know as organic farming and food movement. Uh, His uh, uh, writings were studied by people like Sir Albert Howard, Robert Rodale, um, all of the uh, organic writings and stuff that came out in the 40s and 50s and 60s refer to this uh, these lectures. Hmm. Now, the difference between a biodynamic farmer and organic farmer is relatively uh, simple. Uh, a biodynamic farmer can't go buy any fertilizer. We have to have livestock and legumes, crop rotations, make a lot of compost. So we even make preparations that go into compost. Uh, we do a whole lot of stuff on our farms so that we're not bringing in any fertility and so that what leaves the farm uh, in the form of uh, carbohydrates and proteins is simply a combination of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen that were in the atmosphere above the farm that the legumes and the animals have incorporated through their life processes mm. into the soil which then grows food, which, according to uh, Steiner's uh, theory, has uh, much more nutritive value because the uh, interactions of the soil microbes with the compost and all the stuff under the, the ground mm-hmm. allows plant food to go into the plant through an ionic exchange of uh, hydrogen for amino acids and other uh, forms of uh, the, the plant can take in uh, 
you know, with the minerals that oxygen is freeing up and all this kind of stuff. So this goes into the plant uh, through a nature process. When we put artificial fertilizers on the ground, they become water soluble. And then the plant gets a drink of water, it has to take in these nutrients. And this one-sided fertilization then upsets the plant's natural processes. The plant has to, for example, convert nitrate from urea or ammonium nitrate or even from, you know, manures and poultry litter and fish emulsions and all that kind of stuff that has nitrates. That has to be converted back into an amino acid. And this takes a lot of sugar from the plant. So when you fertilize with any of these kind of nitrate fertilizers, your kale will taste salty or bitter. Whereas when you grow it with amino acid nitrogen from compost cover crops and the formation of humus, then the plant doesn't have to use sugars to convert it. And consequently, the plants taste sweeter. The added benefit then is that uh, when you have complex sugars and carbohydrates in your plant, insects and diseases don't want to bother them either. So a major difference then between the biodynamic method and the organic method is simply how we uh, fertilize our crops. And is the reason that the insects now want to bother them is that there's a weakness? It's there's a vulnerability? Mm, it's because the nitrate mm -hmm. in the artificial fertilized plant has to be converted okay. to amino acid before the plant can use it. And that process takes energy, and energy in a plant is in the form of sugar. Right. Whereas if a plant is getting amino acids directly through microbial interactions, it doesn't have to make that conversion and it can save its sugars. So are you saying it's the sugar? I'm trying to understand that. The complex sugars cannot be digested by a leaf-eating insect because they don't have a pancreas. There's no way they can deal with that sugar. So, okay. What I'm seeking to understand, though, is like, why is it with this other method that's man-made, right? That's man-imposed, I'm going to say. Um, why does that open up more um, insects and bugs to the plants? Maybe That's what I'm not fully understanding. Uh, because the plants don't have as much sugar in them. This can be measured with a refractometer, and you can get a measure of the bricks. Okay. And if your sugars are low, your plants will be more susceptible to insects and diseases. If the sugars are high, they'll be resistant. Huh. So, in other words, you don't really need organic certification. You can right. just taste stuff and tell. I mean, you've had our kale and you've had kale from yeah. a grocery store and you can taste the difference. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I lived on a small working farm for five years in high school. And, you know, that was the thing that I noticed was after moving off the farm, it was like the vegetables didn't have the flavor that they did from when I would walk out and just pick a tomato or pull mm -hmm. a carrot. I mean, it was really phenomenal to me that that, that was missing 
it was like, what is this? It just felt empty. Yeah. So, okay. That, that was really helpful. Thank you so much. It's a lot to think about. Um, yeah. So what this uh, boils down to then mm-hmm. is that you have a situation in the uh, early part of the 20th century where very few people gain control over the production of nitrates, consequently controlling not only fertilizer and food production, but the production of weapons. These people are in a very powerful position, and they've done everything they can to promote this type of agriculture that uses as much of this nitrogen that's artificially produced as possible because it puts money in their pockets. This fertilizer hurts the soil life and the ability of the soil to manufacture nitrogen itself through the natural processes that we were discussing. So it becomes a very profitable repeat business. They also control the weapons that uh, keep uh, the wars going. And right now we're still concentrating the wealth in the hands of the very few number of people who are controlling the synthesis of nitrogen and the production of fertilizers and weapons. Wow. So as a conscious consumer, Mm -hmm. you would want to try to get your sustenance from farmers that weren't using those types of practices. Right. Uh, I was uh, involved in the 60s in what they called the peace movement, going to Washington, D.C. and marching against the Vietnam War and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And after I started farming for uh, a while, it dawned on me, wow, the peace movement is the organic farming movement. They're the same movement. <laughs> We're just trying to do things without these chemicals that really do cause a lot of problems with the climate and water pollution and social uh, unrest and the 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 uh, population that happens in rural areas and uh, just a lot of the uh, problems today could be solved simply by uh, having more organic farms. Yeah. And particularly biodynamic farms because they're a little more conscious of where they get their uh, fertilizer from. Right. It's coming naturally from from the farm, right? It's all being made right there. Yeah. So the idea is that the Everything for agricultural production should come from within the farm's borders. Mm-hmm. So consequently, what we grow on our farm annually mostly just falls back on the land in the form of the leftover hay and manures and garden refuse and fallen forest products and thatch and all of this stuff. Maybe 5% gets exported to the customers and the rest of it just it goes back to the farm re-enlivening the soils and the atmosphere here so that we're ready to do it again next year. Yeah. Which makes me think of what you were just writing about on your um, Instagram account, which was about what is actually happening. We're here in the deep winter, the coldest winter we've had in 30 years in Tennessee. And, you know, what really is, is happening 
under the ground that just seems so dormant right now, right? It just seems so dead. Right. So um, it was quite a revelation to me when I, I read uh, in Steiner's lecture that the earth is more alive in the winter than the summer. And once I got to thinking about it, I realized, well, the earth is more dead in the summer, what's underground, because it's all sprouted up in all the green stuff that, and the baby calves and everything that's growing on top of the surface of the soil. In the winter, all that is tucked into the earth as seeds and uh, roots and, and the dormant stuff. But it's anything but dead. It's alive. And uh, these processes of minerals turning, becoming more available and uh, the uh, forces are involved in plant growth all happen right now as all this crystallizing is happening with the snow and the ice above the land mm -hmm. that freezes the water in the topsoil and poofs it out. And when it thaws, it's bigger. And the way it's bigger is simply because there's air in there. And the air then has the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen that the plants need wow. to make their protein. So all that stuff is happening now. So we should never ignore the importance of winter. But mm. another thing that I was talking about in that little uh, you know, once in a blue moon post <laughs> was <laughs> that uh, uh, I like to picture in my mind, mm. kind of like those visualization exercises that people were doing 30 years ago, where you picture something good, you know, and the more you picture it, the more likely it is to happen. So I like to picture the gardens and very healthful healthy and, and uh, vibrant and uh, you know, with no problems. And uh, then I go through my seed catalogs and we look at pictures and order seeds and maybe and this kind of stuff and just spend some time uh, just contemplating the uh, fields and the, the cattle and the, uh, the vegetable fruit gardens mm. and all that kind of stuff. Envisioning. I like that. Envisioning what's to come and then getting to kind of add in. What you yeah, have. I can't say that it really helps or anything, but there's not much else to do now. Yeah. Well, you, we never know. We never know what that does, right? That's right. It's like, I do love that, that concept of just knowing like there's so much alive underneath, you know, the earth right now, underneath what we're walking on. And it's just... Yeah, pretty Particularly if we don't use uh, uh, chemicals and we've yeah. deeply plowed to the, the soil is well aerated and we have uh, a lot of humus going on, a lot of refuse on the top that's uh, in the process of decomposition, uh, compost and uh, minerals spread to uh, uh, re-enliven the soil. And so all this then will sink back into the soil this time of year and do all of its stuff mm -hmm. underground, unbeknownst to us, uh, most of us. And then uh, in spring, it's the warmth and the sunshine then that brings this all back up. Yeah. And then the earth becomes more dead and the atmosphere above the land becomes more alive. Mm. If somebody has a, a little garden and let's say it's on their balcony, 
can you, can somebody grow like a bit more biodynamically from there? I mean, I know well, it's not like getting into the earth, but I'm just curious about how close you could get just growing it in containers and things like that. I've never tried it. Right. Well, you have a farm. <laughs> you have 250 right. acres of, yeah. But. Well, yeah. So I'm used to, yeah. it's hard for me to comment on things that I haven't personally done because I'd like to just talk about from experience. Yeah, but uh, I, I would say that uh, um, I like to say, I should say, a garden needs a farm. Mm. If you would like. And I think you might have done this before. <laughs> if you come up and visit me and you take home a bucket of compost. <laughs> this is not uncommon around here. <laughs> no, I've been up there many times. Some, yeah. You can have some of the, the what we have going on here. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm not crazy about plastic buckets. You know, I, you know, why not just dig a hole and grow it outside, you know? But, you know, uh, like I said, the... Well, not everybody has that luxury, right? And so, different circumstances. That's yeah, right. so, yeah, yeah. So, I think that yeah. visiting a, a good farmer and getting some of their soil would be the, okay. the way. That's to go. the closest you could go, right? Because I've got nice terracotta pots. You know, I try to get as smart as natural as I can. But I'm, I moved out of my house into a place where I don't, you know, have a terrace now. I don't have lots of uh, property to go out and do that. And so, but that's great. So it really is about what you start with, like having really great soil and composting and or compostable soil and and then grow from there. Not quite the same as growing on a farm, but yeah. Right. Well, uh, uh, the insight that we need to keep in mind is that all of the nutrients in our food then mm -hmm. come from the soil, right. and the atmosphere above the soil. And so the healthier that is, then mm. the healthier the uh, nutrition will be and the better we'll be able to uh, receive into ourselves uh, mm. the homeopathic doses or whatever we need to draw to ourselves uh, through all kinds of processes um, that we may not even be aware of. You know? right. But uh, it would make sense to start with the, the best soil possible. The best soil. <laughs> I'll be coming to visit with a bucket. Um, all right. Well, this is how this is just you're just a, a wealth of information. And um, I'm wondering if there's anything before we close and then we can always come back. And, you know, there's so much more to talk about. Um, but I'm just kind of wondering what you would like to leave the listeners with. You do have a book coming out. Uh, yeah. Uh, in April, uh, mm -hmm. Barefoot Biodynamics will be available. I think you can pre-order it now. And this is a, a, a book I've been working on for quite a while, trying to explain Rudolf Steiner's lectures, which were uh, uh, given in German and difficult to understand in his language. So I just try to make it easier to understand. And uh, yeah, we'll be out uh, floating around uh, talking at little uh, garden clubs and uh, things like that. I know that we have something at uh, the Spring House, I believe. And uh, second Sunday's Gardeners, that might be February 11th and the Spring House, February 24th. Mm -hmm. So people uh, could then check out your website or they could go on to your Instagram account, right? To be able to find like feature events if they're in the local area. 
Uh, yeah, that's a good possibility. Probably the best way to, the best chance of finding out. I don't know. Other okay. people do all that stuff for me. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. So, what is your website and what's your handle for Instagram? Oh, it all should be under Barefoot Farmer. I don't know that there's anything else. Okay, so that's that's how we can find you. And then, if people are in the area and would like to come up, they can they could come up and meet you in person and see the farm in the summer. And is that possible? Yeah, we welcome visitors. Yeah, we welcome visitors. We have events here on the farm, conferences, and biodynamic uh, preparation workshops, and uh, we also have festivals. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful farm. People should go out and visit if they're able to. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today that was really illuminating and I appreciate you kind of starting at the beginning and taking us forward. It, I really feel like I have so much more information now um, and a better understanding of the difference between biodynamic and organic. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And uh, if I can help anybody, please uh, let me know. All right. Well, until we see each other again, stay curious and uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Sharing the show or an episode that really resonated with you, with friends or on social media, is always appreciated. For podcast updates, please subscribe at ecogal.tv forward slash subscribe. Graphic elements and logos, courtesy of Linda Cornelius. Audio editing by Danielle Mikesell. Our theme music was created by Taylor Pye. You can find us on Instagram at EcoGal TV. We appreciate your support and we value your time and energy. So we hope you found this useful and of value. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. And until then, stay curious.